Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. In 1936, a ragtag team of rowers from the University of Washington took Olympic gold. Behind the victory is a story of resilience. Judy Rance Willman is here to talk about her dad, Joe, who was on that boat. His story has been made into a movie. That's in a minute. But first, let's get you caught up. Speaking of unlikely stories, Microsoft says it wants America's unions to have input on the development of AI. The company announced Monday it would partner with AFL-CIO, the largest federation of unions in the country. Microsoft says the goal of the partnership is to incorporate input from workers on the development of AI and to train them in the skills needed to adapt to the technology. Microsoft and the AFL-CIO will host training sessions and labor summits. The two will advocate together for legislation related to AI and the workforce. Hey, big silver lining from last week's atmospheric river. Seattle Public Utilities no longer needs customers to conserve water. The utility says Seattle's reservoirs now have enough water for people and fish for the foreseeable future. The request for conservation was made back in September after a dry summer left almost half the state in severe drought. But that's all changed now, thanks to all that saving and a rainy November, though saving water is never a bad idea. And diner chain Skillet has agreed to pay about 180 employees more than $300,000 to settle allegations of wage and sick time theft. Seattle Times reports that the Skillet group is accused of failing to provide meal breaks and using misleading language on receipts about tips. Skillet Group has agreed to create and enact written policies around breaks and sick time. The company will also pay nearly $5,000 to the city of Seattle. When Judy Rance Willman was in high school, sure, she heard stories about how her dad, Joe Rance, won a gold medal as a rower in the 1936 Olympics. But like a lot of teenagers, she wasn't impressed with her dad. My general feeling was, hey, wow, what's the big deal? He had to have other people with him in order to win. Why couldn't he have won something by himself? But in time, she realized not everyone's dad had a gold medal. She also started to see her father's story in a larger context. Joe Rance had a tough life. He grew up poor. His mother died, and at 15, his family abandoned him. When he made it to the University of Washington, Rance joined the rowing team because it guaranteed jobs for its rowers. Against the odds, the team dominated not only East Coast rowing clubs to make it to the Olympics, they went to Hitler's Germany and won a gold medal. Now the last hundred yards, Great Britain leading on the far side, Italy coming up, Germany nearly to third, Hungary fourth. But there's America, away over there. Just in front, to win by a yard. And to me, it seemed like if people could understand what it was that he went through and how it was that he survived and that he came through that thing, a whole person, that that was important. And Judy realized there was a sense of urgency, too. As the years were passing, the guys were starting to die off in this story in the history was starting to die off. And I could visualize that as, you know, there's going to be nobody left to tell the story. And it's an important story. It's, it's important to 
about the, the, the human adventure, and it's important about the, what they did with teamwork and, and what you can do if you really pull together. And I was gradually getting the feeling that if nobody was going to do that, maybe I was the person that was going to have to do it. So Judy, along with her dad, Joe, collaborated with author Daniel James Brown to get his and the UW team's story out there. The Boys in the Boat book became a New York Times bestseller, and now a film about the rowers and their Olympic victory, directed by George Clooney, is set to release on Christmas Day. Rance's time at the University of Washington is a big focus of both stories. Judy told me what it was like for him as a student back then. His existence was stressful psychologically, it was stressful physically, but it was also fulfilling because he could see something that he was doing that he was being pretty much able to do, even though there were times when Omerson kind of got fed up with him because That's he the, wasn't... the rowing coach? Yes, because he wasn't rowing quite exactly up to the standards that the coach wanted uh, or expected. And uh, he kept trying to tell him how he needed to change his style. And Dad never totally could change it. And so, so he wound up getting pulled out of the boat and put back in. He kept not quite making it until he got pulled under George Pocock's wing at the beginning or partway into his junior year, which was the Olympic year. And George told him that he was going to have to have to learn to like the other guys on the crew, that he was going to have to learn how to trust them, because that was the only way that he was ever going to achieve what he really could become. And it was from that that he began to be able to see that you could trust and that the world wasn't going to do to him or his team wasn't going to do to him what what the world had done to him. And so that was that was where things sort of changed and he was there with them completely. And of course George Pocock is the artisan boat builder whose name survives in the boathouses in the city today. Absolutely. Yeah, well, Yes. And if you talk to anybody who is crew related pretty much anywhere in the country, they'll know who George Pocock was. What was it about this team that you can learn, that you've learned from your dad in researching this story, that was the ingredient that got them to the place that they ended up winning this Olympic gold medal? Because it was, like we're talking about, highly improbable until a certain point that they were going to win this, that this was even a possibility. My interpretation from everything that I've heard and found out is that the thing about the team was that for each one of them, well, partly because each one of them felt like they were the weak link on the team and they were the ones that were most likely to like give out or make a mistake or or whatever and screw it up for the rest of the guys. And so every man on that team gave in essence more than they had to give because they would not give up. They, it was it was a feeling not so much of of winning 
as it was of not letting the rest of the guys down. It was, a, you know, a, a love of what they had there. I don't think that the Germans were ready for that. Apparently not. Let's talk about some of the things your dad was juggling when he was at the University of Washington. Obviously, he came in as an underdog student as well. Did he need to be on crew to stay in school? I would say yes, because jobs were not real easy to find. He had nobody financially backing him. Crew, if you got onto the crew and you stayed there, even if you didn't make the first bolt, I mean, you could be JV, or, or, but, but you had to stick with it. And uh, they would find you an on-campus job. Mm. And so there was no other way that he was going to be able to get make money while he was still going to school. It's not like you can say, okay, I'm available eight hours a day, you know, seven days a week or whatever. He had to be in crew in order to keep the job in order to stay in school. You know, I'm curious, because your dad made such an impression on you, what you take from him? What lesson you drew from your dad's life through all of this? Uh, One thing was that he never got mad. And I, I, I think one of the things that I take from him is that I learned that you don't necessarily solve problems by being mad, but um, he never got seriously angry. It's interesting your dad never got mad, you said, because he really had a lot to get mad about that he could have been angry about, right? Abandoned, very difficult life that he He made that decision early on, that he he was going to be a survivor, and... And one of the things that, as a survivor, he came to realize very quickly was that it is no good to you to be angry because it uses up energy. And if you have to be using all your energy for survival, what's the point of using it in being angry? You haven't got that energy to waste. And so he learned how to live life with, without letting things make him angry. What was it like to see your dad's experiences brought to life in a major motion picture? <laughs> I, I have had, I have, it, it's amazing, really. I've had, I've had a dual situation, the first one being the book. And of course, I don't know whether you've read the book or not, but Dan has the amazing ability to to allow you to picture those things in your head, mm. and those things start to come to life for you. And and when you're when you're reading it, I found that it was a lot like having watched um, The Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you're going from black and white into color. And it was that same kind of thing watching the movie where all the time I had been depending on what was in my head. And then all of a sudden there it was in front of me. And you could, the the way that they have the, the sound, I had often wondered as I would watch the crew races 
And of course, they're a fair distance away. So you don't necessarily hear all of the sounds that go along with the boat being rowed through the water. And when you're in the movie and, and the boat gets so close up and the sound is, is in your head and you can hear when there is the, the, the rhythm that they're going and when they change the rhythm and the oars are going in there together, it was just, it was really amazing. It was like you were sort of curled up in a ball in one side of the shell. It was, um, it was a fascinating experience. Underdog stories are so easy to love because so many of us, I think, feel like underdogs maybe. But why do you think your father's story in particular has touched so many people? Well, it wasn't just an underdog story because by the time you get, he had such a horrendous, hard start. And by the time you get, it's, it's watching a human experience, an evolution. It's seeing that it's possible to pull through that kind of thing. And it's possible to do stuff that everybody would think was impossible. If you've got the, the drive on the one side and, and you stick with it, and if you have the teamwork and the cooperation and the, the trust and love of the rest of your team on the other side, You've got two things pulling for you that other people, if they they have to accept that you can pull out of that kind of situation, and they have to understand that, yeah, that they could do it if they if they make the effort, if they try. If they have the confidence in themselves to keep going, even when it seems like it's hopeless, because it isn't ever truly hopeless, I don't think. Did you meet George Clooney? (laughs) No. (laughs) I would have put that in the contract. Judy. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't my contract, so I didn't get to put it in. <laughs> Do you well, have I, hope that you I will still, meet George say, Clooney? I still, have, I still have hope. Yes, I, I will always. I will always have hope. <laughs> Judy Rance Wilman, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing part of your dad's story with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Our production team also includes Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow.